On this episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad Podcast, we have an awesome guest, Mr. Ron Lynch, who is easily responsible for generating well over $4 billion in sales for awesome brands like GoPro, OxyClean, George Foreman Grills, and the list goes on. (laughs) We dive into one of his newer projects in telehealth, which is helping individuals across the US and 10 other countries globally on getting food, um, you know, pet products and these kind of wild times to kind of, you know, really show a personal aspect to life and kind of helping others. We dive into what didn't work so great, which was a kind of a newer business, newer product, just kind of bad timing there. And to finish it off, we dive into some awesome financial principles on, you know, coming up with partners, how to, you know, give away, you know, equity in the company. Um, and kind of really scale it up and use your partners to your advantage to kind of open up the door to retail, online sales, and so many other aspects of the business. So make sure to tune in. This one is one you don't want to miss. Buckle up. And the next, uh, to allude to kind of why, because that's more of the hundred, like this last story is like $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 story. But I've had million dollar failures and $2 million failures. Now, that doesn't mean I've had two $1 million failures. I've had a bunch of $1 million failures, and I recently had a $2 million failure. So um, that, those are haircuts. Um, and the $2 million failure was mine personally. I owned it. listening to the Rich Ad Poor Ad podcast, where we break down the financial principles that rich advertisers are deploying today to turn advertising into profit and get tons of traffic to their websites without killing their cash. These advertisers, agencies, affiliates, brands are responsible for managing over a billion dollars a year in ad spend. You'll hear about what's working for them today, their rich ads, and we'll roast their epic failures and crappy ads on the internet with poor ads. Let's get into it. All right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Rich Ad Poor Ad Podcast, where we dive into what's working, what isn't working, and some badass financial principles. We got your host, Dylan Carpenter, in the house. I am pumped for this one. We have a fellow awesome guy here in Austin, Texas, loving it. But we have Mr. Ron Lynch, who's kind of a marketing mercenary, has well over $4 billion in attributed sales with multiple brands like GoPro, OxyClean, George Foreman, a ton of products online. And I mean, he's an absolute legend in the space. So, I mean, the hype is real, but Ron, what's up, man? Thanks for jumping on. Thanks for having me on. And I'm, I'm not a legend because you have to be dead to be a legend. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm let's say I'm notorious. <laughs> that's even more. I like that. That's, that's got a little bit more edgier feel to it. Right. <laughs> but heck yeah, man. So, you know, we're definitely kind of in the same circle. I think it's super nifty there. Um, totally going to have to regroup one of these days. But kind of give everybody some context of who you are, kind of what you're getting into, so people have an idea of kind of, you know, who you are. So I'm an ex-grocery retailer, and I left the grocery industry the week of 9-11 as being an operations director of uh, retail grocery companies. Uh, so I understood customers, merchandising, psychology, layout, offers, and all of the things that require you to understand a PL. So I got kind of a master's degree in the real world by operating multi-million dollar grocery stores and uh, Whole Foods type stores, stores that were kind of cutting edge, fancier. And my hobby was writing screenplays. Uh, As a kid, I was in movies, so I understood the movie business and I liked storytelling, so I started writing screenplays and I sold a screenplay to George Foreman's agent, Sam Sam Perlmutter, uh, during the George Foreman Grill campaign. And the people that were running that campaign said, holy smokes, 
would you like to come work for us? And I became the creative director of an ad agency and put my retail knowledge to the, the filmmaking trade and the TV commercial trade, the infomercial trade. And I've uh, been doing that for 20 years now. Oh, man. Heck, yeah. That's quite an intro into the industry there. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. I mean, it was, and it was kind of nice. It was like I got to start at the top, too, you know? I think people dream of being a, a TV director or writing, but being able to do that and having the business mechanics that most people are missing, most people who get into TV and film have no idea how to run a company or a P&L uh, or sell. So it was really the combination of those two disciplines made me uniquely suited to do this. And that just kind of projected you into this industry to a whole new level, more or less. That was kind of your foot in the door. Well, my foot in the door was that was was that the but the first two commercials I got to write were for Space Bags with Samsonite and uh, American Tourister. So, and then after that was I immediately did something with OxyClean, and <laughs> the the one after that was uh, uh, Kevin uh, Harrington's Flavor Wave Deluxe Oven, which ended up doing a hundred million dollars. So I kind of went from zero to the fast lane. And in the first, I think in the first four infomercials I did all went over a hundred million dollars in revenue, which was fabulous. But the next four that I did were, were absolute dismal failures. And so I, I, I had to learn a little bit. I, I, I've learned a lot along the way. Let's just say that mostly the hard way. It would have been some of the, your more enjoyable clients to work with just with awesome, creative, awesome, you know, brand positioning who have been kind of those top three on your kind of list that you're like, man, I'm pumped. I got to work with them. Um, I probably, um, well, I run the risk of any of them listening to your podcast now, don't I? Uh, so like who, which one of my kids are the favorites, but I'll, the ones that come to mind are things that stand out were, um, I actually did a, a project with Billy Mays, um, that we wrote together that other talent were in. He wasn't in the commercial. It was for a product called the total, total trolley. And it was a stepladder, but it was one of my first interactions with Billy and he really helped me in understanding, like he'd come to the table and he'd be like, what's the offer and what's the, the catch? Like mm. he, he knew right up front, like it didn't matter what effort you went to. If you didn't have a good offer, it wasn't going to go. So we, he, he taught me a lot up front. So that total trolley probably be one. Obviously GoPro um, would be another. And I, Samsung Robotics was pretty good to me too. So it was pretty, pretty neat to be able to work with them. But I... <laughs> I've had to the opportunity of working with Microsoft and J and J and Valvoline and Hunter Fan Company and lots of big corporations that have needed our help. So it's it is hard to pick. Oh, I believe that. I mean, those are some fun names there. Well, heck yeah. Well, sweet. Everybody's definitely got an idea of what you're getting into these days. So, I mean, for this next segment, we'd love to kind of dive in. What's worked for you recently? Um, you have a really cool case study, more or less, especially with what's going on in the world that, I mean, people are getting impacted, well over 30 million jobs lost. So, I mean, I think this is going to be a super juicy, rich segment, but would love to kind of dive into, you know, your idea of the kind of a rich ad, more or less, you know, what's working really well for you. Sure. And let's talk about that. Uh, the, the, what you're alluding to is in telehealth. And when I saw the pandemic breaking out, I was actually kind of ahead of the curve. I knew where we were headed in about uh, probably January, February. And so I'd kind of battened down the hatches and kind of prepped, you know, got a ton of food and all of that stuff. And I was like, okay, we're going to get locked in here and waited around and nothing happened, nothing happened. And then it happened. 
and the first weekend that it happened, I had been working real hard to get my folks to uh, uh, lock themselves in their house and stock up. And they just were like, you're crazy. It's going to be going to be fun. We can go to the store. It's right down at the corner. I'm like, you don't, I don't know if you know what, like, this could get bad. And then I started thinking about all of the folks that are poor or could be poor rapidly because most Americans can't scrape together $500. They have no savings. And a lot of people have kids. And I thought, what happens when all of these people can't eat? And we created, I did a Facebook post on a Saturday and said, I'm going to start this organization where people can feed people peer to peer. Um, if you have money and you have a little extra money, you're going to help feed somebody, but you're going to pick them. And the people who are in need would go onto Facebook and make a grocery list of what they needed. And so that exchange within a week had about four or 5,000 people on Facebook, both feeding people and being fed. And it grew to 12 countries. And now there's over 80,000 people just in the U.S. And the, the expansion was so fast, I had to stop the expansion because I did not have a legitimate 501c3 in place. Uh, I wasn't actually a charity. I was a private guy just doing this with volunteers. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to get in all kinds of trouble with the IRS if I don't get this figured out. Because I wasn't really, I wasn't, I was just spending money on ads myself personally. But like, I could see this thing growing. And there were people tapping me from corporations saying, hey, how do we get involved in this? So it, the, the, the reason I tell that story is it's grown fast. It's going to continue to grow. Now we have the 501c3. We have an app that consumers can use. So we'll have funding from corporations to feed people in America, which makes the corporations look good. And it's, it is useful. And there's folks in need. So in any business brand or company, anything you create, if everybody needs to be involved, if everybody's got an interest and they're getting something out of it, and there's a pointed need that the culture is looking at at that time, you've got a damn good chance of winning, which is kind of like GoPro. When GoPro came along, the thing that made it blow up was not GoPro. It was our ability to leverage the tool of YouTube and Facebook at the moment they were introduced. Those three things were inexorably tied together. GoPro would not have happened today. It had to happen at the launch of Facebook and the launch of YouTube, where people wanted to pr project these selfies, and it was, a, it was a new platform for them to do it. It was a tool that allowed them to do that, and the phones didn't have the technology at that point to do these, these selfie videos. So IntelliHelp is like that. We, we were kind of ahead of, frankly, the poverty curve. As poverty is rapidly expanding in America at this moment because people are losing jobs and staying home, we saw the need there, but we realized other folks would want to help them and the potential to save lives, lower crime, get people fed, and do a good act at a time in your life where we all feel helpless. COVID has, made, has rendered everybody Everybody's got a mask and everybody feels like their, their ankles are shackled in life right now. We all feel tied up. And if you feel powerless and I give you something to do that's empowering, that truly builds your virtue and feeds a child, you'd be a fool to say no to it. Oh, 100%.
Yeah, and I mean, I kind of came up on it when you first launched it, launched it too. I mean, it kind of blew up in Austin real quick, and then all of a sudden, it was that snowball effect, and I had a, tons of friends who were sharing it, posting about it, and I'm like, man, this thing really kind of blew up. So, I mean, you mentioned, I want to say you had about 80,000 in the U.S. Is this something that's expanded outside the U.S. and kind of gone more global? There's an IntelliHelp in Australia, Germany, Sweden, England, um, Ireland. Wow. Um, yeah, I think that there's 10 of them, and there's a, a, there's a pets division. So IntelliHelp Pets, because we realized, and it started with a complaint. And I, this is another thing. When, when somebody complains to you, there's always an opportunity in the middle of the complaint. So I had a lady come online and she frankly bitched. Hey, why, why the F don't you guys, why does my mother have to choose between cat food and her food? She can only pick 10 items. It's like, okay, guess what? We're going to open up IntelliHelp Pets tomorrow and you're going to come work there. Because if you're going to bitch about it, you just got yourself a job. <laughs> and she was like, what? And I'm like, that's what you're going to do. You complained, get in the boat. And she did. And so I drafted her and five more people, and we created IntelliHelp Pets, which feeds livestock, cats, dogs, goats, horses, veterinary stuff, does all kinds of stuff. So it's, it, it's, it's self-propagating. And uh, when you find – there's a lot of people that can find a problem for every solution. Oh, always. Yeah, that's, right? that's going to get way more broadcasted than anything. <laughs> And I, I mean, and uh, not to be um, light about our cultural paradigm at the moment, but when now I, I'm from Seattle, where Black Lives Matter started, and I've been following and watching that since it, it, they first interrupted Bernie Sanders in Westlake Park in Seattle, and uh, the three gals took the the microphone from him. So it's been you know another election cycle, two election cycles ago, and I thought, what is this? stand for and i immediately went to their website and it's, it's changed over the years but i, I kind of got the gist of it and then i watched this colin kaepernick evolution and tim tebow revolution two guys taking a knee for different reasons on the field and how the culture reacted to them and then how this has manifested the, in the last year with these police shootings and killings of these folks and I made a very long post on my personal page about when uh, uh, George, um, what was, what's his last name? The young Floyd. Floyd was was killed this spring, and it was extremely sympathetic to his situation, by the way. Yeah. And I, I've stood, stood back and I went, okay, Black Lives Matter is a movement, and it's political, but if Black Lives Matter, what can we actually do from the Caucasian culture, the Asian culture, the Eastern culture to, to go, they, they do. Well, how do we take an action instead of just sticking a yard sign in our yard? Instead of wearing a t-shirt or donating some money, I went, you know what? IntelliHelp's a great vehicle for that. 25% of our audience in there is African-American. 25% uh, is Latino, which is about double for both the size that they exist in the general demographics of our population. So an individual, if you want to make a life matter, feed their kids. And so for me, it's more than just, you know, it, it, there's ways in life to deal with things that are uh, with, without preaching. You just go, hey, you know what? It's way easier and way smarter and way more productive for me to feed these folks and feed their kids 
than it is for me to go burn a building. Man, yeah, you, you hit a spot on. You really connect people on those kind of personal levels and help just a wide array of every type of individual walk of life out there. So, I mean, it's pretty awesome kind of what it's come to. And I mean, that's that's an example of kind of a Rich Ads more or less story of something that's worked super well. And this the timing was right and this, all the stars aligned there, it seems like. So it's pretty nifty how that all kind of came together without a doubt. Yeah, you don't have to be 30 years ahead. You can be 15 minutes ahead if you're paying attention. Yeah, for real. Trends on Twitter, <laughs> some stuff like that. But I mean, that's quite a segment. But let's go ahead and transition to, you know, that worked really well. Um, but of course, it's always cool to see, you know, some things that just haven't worked out, you know, online these days. Everybody talks about what's going super well. So it's good to kind of open up the curtain to kind of find something that hasn't worked too hot, maybe recently in the past. Um, go ahead and kind of open up the kimono of something that you thought would just work super well. That just maybe crash and burn, didn't turn out as planned. Um, just to kind of open it up a little bit. Okay. I have, um, one of the, um, I'll say one of the personal flaws that I have is, uh, I love my friends so much. I won't let them walk across the ice alone and digital marketing and television marketing. It is, I always look at it as kind of like crossing a frozen lake, like <laughs> you spread out your weight, you spread out your, your media and your tests and you try to eat your way out there and find where the ice is going to crack and you get away from that and where, the, where it's more solid you kind of lean towards that and make your you know make your journey well if i have a friend who has an idea that's questionable or even good um it's hard for me to let them go to somebody else they'll come to me people come to me for tons of advice all the time and i'll say and i'll say you know i don't know if that's a good idea um or i don't know if this timing's right back to the IntelliHelp. like IntelliHelp wouldn't have worked four years ago but right now it will. This, so the, I had a friend come to me with a, with a, with a piece of sporting goods equipment and I don't want to get too into the weeds cause I don't want to out them. Okay. But the, it's, it's a very specific sport, first of all. So you go, that's good. I can target that. It's a very specific product that doesn't exist in the marketplace. So it has innovation. So it has two of my hallmarks. It's got innovation and audience. It's extremely inexpensive to manufacture with high margins. So it has margin. It ticks three boxes. So the last thing it needs is story. And we've developed a story for it, which was good. And the, the I'll tell you this, the, the sport itself is fishing. It's, it's in the fishing niche. But the campaign came together as COVID coalesced. And I became very nervous about going out with this type of product when everybody was battening down the hatches and locking themselves in their house. And my friend and client said, and this is a good friend of mine, said, no, no, no. All the, all the data we have is that these guys that are fishing and gals that are fishing are actually going out on the lakes in Michigan now. It's summertime and they're getting, they're, they're using their boats and they're going and doing this. Went, Okay, I'm gonna believe you, and because I'm your friend, you know, like I'm gonna walk across the lake with you. Then, rather than you go with a total stranger who will not get you any results or care about it, so we did. And surprisingly enough, we got to a place where our ad spend actually matched his sales. That's going backwards, right? Because that doesn't <laughs> can't do that. You gotta, you have to have a two to one. You can't have a one to one. And I, I think we might have had a 1.3, um, but it was 
it gave me no room to expand. And this is, I was doing working very low media volumes and I couldn't expand and I couldn't expand. And I finally called him up one day and I said, you know what? I've got X amount of dollars sitting in an account that you gave me in advance as a deposit. And I'm shutting the account, like this ad account. I'm going to just turn off the ads hand you the ad account and send you the remainder of your money back. And I'm not going to charge you any commission or anything like we just charged him for the production work of the original uh, and very, very affordably production work for the original. And it was depressing. Like I hate losing. It pissed me off. I'm like, but again, it was, why did I say yes to something that my intuition and my intellect both knew this was not right. And I still went across the lake with a guy when I should have just said, we are not going across the lake. I will not let you. Um, but the softy part of me was like, okay, this guy's going to do this. I'm going to try and keep him alive. And, uh, it's, it's, uh, I think I mentioned earlier that my first four infomercials did a hundred million dollars. My next four failed. And the next uh, to allude to kind of why, cause that's more the hundred, like this last story is like, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 story. But I've had million-dollar failures and $2 million failures. Now, that doesn't mean I've had two $1 million failures. I've had a bunch of $1 million failures, and I recently had a $2 million failure. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so um, that, th those are haircuts. Um, and the $2 million failure was mine personally. I owned it. Um, so when you go through those, the number one thing that I learned from the first ones was I was picking products wrong. Mm -hmm. I thought I was the difference. I, like I said, there's four things. There's innovation, audience, margin, and story. And I convinced myself when I got into this business because I hit $400 million out of the park in the first four shows. Well, it took a couple of years for it to, to sell all of that, but you, you get the point. They were, they were so successful earlier. I was like, shit, I can do anything. It's my storytelling. And so then I got involved in products that were terrible and had no chance because I, my own ego thought, oh, I got this. And boy, I got schooled real hard. <laughs> and then once I did, I developed a methodology for picking. And that methodology is, you know, that's something that I teach. I have a course and I, you know, I teach people everything that I do uh, and how I think, not what to do, but how to think. And that methodology has served me very well because in an industry where people get probably one hit out of 20 tries, I get about seven or eight hits out of 10 tries. Mm, that's, so our success ratio is excellent. Oh yeah. And I mean, we've had a lot of, you know, individuals come on and talk about, I mean, all those tests, you know, you got to keep in mind of those keep racking up. Cause I mean, shoot, if you have 10 tests, seven made us not hits where those three, you know, have to kind of scale them up to kind of equal out the losers in those scenarios. So, I mean, I mean, you can still have seven tests that work and the whole business doesn't work. Yeah. Oh. It happens a lot. I, what I'm saying is I'm, we're seven, eight out of 10 out of picking the right product that actually turns into a multi-million dollar product. Not just that, Oh, it worked for a while or it's a flash in the pan it turns into a legitimate brand that ends up getting the exposure and retail that you're looking for. Um, and that doesn't mean seven out of 10 of my ads work. I might be two out of 10 of my ads work. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that shit doesn't change for anybody. That's that they're full of shit, but that's, you've got to, it's the, it, for me, it's the project. That's the number one thing is 
do we have an innovation? Is there anybody who wants it? And what will they pay for it? Is there enough margin? If you can do that, then you can write the story that fits them. That's quite a methodology. And I think it's beneficial for kind of really anybody to kind of have that thought process first before really diving into the full execution side of things where I think that's killer there. And nobody does it. Yeah. Well, hey, you got a course for it. Hey. <laughs> that's true. Um, the, the marketing mercenary and it's the, the ratings for it are off the charts. And we have, in fact, you have several friends that I know that have graduated from it. And they're all excellent marketers. And they attribute that to not me teaching them what to think, but me teaching them how to think. Man, well, that's an interesting kind of segment there. I mean, it's 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 grouped so many things together. I freaking love it. It's that's that's some value packed info right there. So you know, to kind of conclude it all, you know, we love to take a page out of that rich dad poor dad book. You know, some sort of financial principles, some sort of financial tip. So I mean, we kind of spoke about this a little bit before on kind of those larger kind of brands there. I think this one's going to be super good. Y'all buckle up, but it's kind of more of the GoPro, kind of how that kind of, you know, started more or less, how you kind of got budgeted and how you kind of framed it all out to kind of really allocate those budgets. So, I mean, go ahead and release the beast. I, mean, I was looking forward to this part. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, this, I think that it's, it's um, un unusual and it was a brilliant strategy and it came from Nick Woodman. Um, I don't know if everybody knows Nick or is aware of Nick who started GoPro, his, uh, father was in the venture capital business. And so they put together a deal that was super, super smart. And here's what happened is we created a, they created a company where they took out, they got investors to sign up for, I think six or $8 million. And they only had to tap into that money when they needed it. And so they would tap into it at the very beginning. And when, when they tapped into that, then that, that, fund would get an X amount of stock. But the cool thing about having a fund with $6 million in it that you're not giving the stock away to, of having it just sit there in the bank, so to speak, is when you go out to factories and to retailers and to media companies, you immediately have a line of credit because you can back up your order. So your marketing is the thing that has to sell your product. Because if you can create cash flow, even break-even cash flow, when you've got $6 million in the bank, you never have to tap into the $6 million. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially how GoPro made it happen and how Nick ended up with the lion's share of the stock on IPO day. And the, the trick was, it's, it's no different than you going to the bank. We all know if you go to the bank and you have no money and you have debt, you're not getting a loan. But if you have getting a loan from anybody is proving you don't need the money. If you need a, a loan for a million dollars and you have a million dollars in assets, the bank's going to be like, fine, let's assign your assets. Yeah. But if you need $4 million, the bank's going to go, no, we'll give you $1 million. So you're in, always in the situation of proving you don't need the money. And that's in, you know, the only, the only places where that you escape that is in the automobile industry where all you do is pay the depreciation upfront as the down payment, and they can always come take the car. But that is a financial, financial principle that permeates the world. That's a law. You can't borrow more than you got. And that's what they did. So as you move forward, think about who you bring in and when, because you can do an awful lot on your own till you need that strategic partner. 
And then you're looking for a strategic partner that you can have a conversation with and say, hey, we may need $3 million, but we don't need it all right now. We'd like to be responsible stewards of your money. Could we have $300,000? And for that, we're going to give you a founder's share of X in the company. Now, if I, if I have a company and I decide I'm going to value it at $10, 000, $10 million and I take $300,000 in, then I've got a pretty reasonable shit. Like I've given decent stock yeah. and I've got the operating capital that I need. But if I took in the 3 million, I would have just given up 30% of the company instead of 3% of the company. Right. Oh yeah. And then we, if you're responsible with the 300,000, then you get your wheels going, but your relationship with that lender now is they always get to invest at their share level until you have a different round. Mm. So when you have a different round, that's how shareholders disappear. Is let's say I, I, let's say I did that once with them and then I went back to the well for another 300,000. So I've got, I've given away 6% of the company at a $10 million valuation for $600,000. Now I go to my, round, my next round and I have, I move the valuation up based on success because I spent their $600,000 well. And I'm going to say now it's worth $20 million. So they're happy because their $600,000 just became worth $1.2 million, right? Yeah. Now I can go out to the next lender and go, I need $1.2 million for 3%. This is how, for 6%. See how the, this is how funding works. Man. And you, you expand and you move from, from angel investor to A round to B round, and you grow, you grow while retaining control until you get to where you have something where you need, like you are on fire. Okay, there's businesses. Let's say you've created a personal care product. Let's say you came up with a line of shampoo. Just... Some, some kind of special shampoo, conditioner, hair care product. So you get up to a level and you go, this could go in retail. In order for it to go in retail, I'm going to have to fulfill purchase orders of $20 million. And we don't have $20 million. That's when you go to a really big investor and go, we are about to get into retail all over the United States. We're buying, we're taking the shelf space from head and shoulders or whoever the hell it is. We want you as an investor because the minute we take that shelf space, Procter and Gamble is going to notice we're going to be in the planogram. They're going to be pissed off and we're going to sell to them. So mm. at that point, you actually want somebody who's a big investor and you want to give away the majority of your company, which sounds insane, but here's why. If you give away Say you own 30% of your company and you got to $100 million a year. If you give away another 30% to that person, now you now have 40 and your shareholders have 60. But who's responsible and concerned about the sale? The new guy that just bought the last 30. Oh, yeah. And if he's really rich, he's got a team of lawyers that's going to negotiate with Procter & Gamble in a hell of a lot better way than you can. So mm -hmm. he knows it. Now it's his responsibility to close that deal. And th these are the kind of business mechanics we work on all the time. He closes that deal and that's where you get this $300 million payout, right? But as a 30% shareholder now, or 40% in my own company, 
Do I have to shell, sell my shares? No. He can go do that deal with Procter and Gamble, and I can take a payout at that point for 15% or 20%. So I can get a $30 million payday and still retain a 20% ownership in a brand that Pop Procter and Gamble operates. Ooh. <laughs> so that's how that's how a person becomes a billionaire. This is how it's done. Is if and most people are like, I gotta retain this and I gotta control this. And they're like, no, you have to strategically give away the right amount of your company to the right person who can facilitate the transfer of ownership to a, a multinational corporation, that's how you end up with your own island in jet. Oh, man. It's, there's a very strategic path to do it. And most people don't understand it because they've never seen it. But I obviously have seen it so much, I can spout it out here. Like <laughs> it, This is how it's done. Now, Procter & Gamble's running my com company. They're in charge of the debt. They're in charge of the inventory. And I get a check every quarter for 30%, 20% of the profits as they sell it globally in a distribution network. Because ultimately that's what you're looking for is building distribution networks. Yeah. My gosh, we have no, had no one dive into this in depth in this type of scenario. Man, that was, that was, this is gonna, the amount of highlights I got with this, oh man, it's gonna be everywhere. <laughs> My gosh. This episode is brought to you by Funnel Dash's ad card, the only charge card exclusively for your digital ad spend. And if you're an ad agency that manages seven or even eight figures a year in media and ad spend for your clients, and you're looking to double your profits over the next six to 12 months, then check out ad card. See, the typical agency model is this. You charge 10% of your spend, and you make 10 to 20% margin at the end of the day. So that's really one to 2% of your client's spend that is profit in your business. The easiest way to double that is to really find a way to earn in that one to 2% cash back of the card that is on file of your client's ad account. And before ad card, what you had to do was invoice all your clients for their ad spend up front, which is really difficult on a cash flow basis and very difficult ask. And then you had to put the card on your own Amex or whatever card of choice to get that level of value back into your business. With AdCard, it's entirely different and streamlined. You simply get your clients on AdCard and make yourself the agency of record and you'll get the cash back as long as you're managing the ad spend. It's a great way to double your profit without doing any additional work. Check it out at FunnelDash.com. I mean, we even had um, Josh from TrySnow.com on. And, you know, he's got a huge teeth whining brand. He's getting, you know, scouted by like Colgate, Crest, all these big brands. So it's kind of cool to see how that can kind of go hand in hand there. But man, that was, that was valuable there. Yeah, he's a good guy. And he's done a brilliant job with that brand. I've been watching the heck out of it in, for the last year, year or two. And it's been great. To, it's, it's great to see somebody succeed like that. So oh, yeah. He, yeah, he was our episode one. And he just opened up the kimono, <laughs> the amount of value. And there was just unreal. <laughs> But that's flattering. I'm glad. I'm I'm glad to be on on the same level. Um, and that's for me. That's kind of like when I come on a podcast. For me, it's my sample platter. It's like I want you guys to to think, and I want you to learn how to think. Yeah. And if at some point I can help you learn how to think, hunt me down because you know what I've told you, but you don't know what I haven't told you. And I've told you the tip. 
of the iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, man, this has been super juicy. So, I mean, how can people kind of get in touch with you? What do you have next? Kind of, you know, give everybody kind of an idea of what the future holds for you and kind of how to get in touch with you. And, of course, you got to plug in that course. <laughs> um, I never tell what I'm working on in the future because I'm smart. Valid. I will tell you that I'm working on IntelliHelp. And anybody who wants to have a human heart and help help their brother or sister out should go there. If you want to uh, reach out to me, you can uh, hit me up at uh, genius at bigbabyagency.com. If you are interested in the Marketing Mercenary Program, you can either go to ronlynchmarketing.com or you can send me a Facebook Messenger because I do have a private and closed group called the Marketing Mercenary on Facebook that is not visible to folks unless they know the secret handshake. So if you reach out to me and ask me for the secret handshake, I will give you that. Heck yeah. Well, Ron, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thanks for dropping on and dropping such good value bombs in here. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. so much for listening to another episode of the rich ad poor ad podcast if you're like me and listen to podcasts on the go go ahead and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify youtube and richadpoorad.com slash podcast and if you absolutely love the show go ahead and leave a review and a comment share with a friend if you do take a copy screenshot of it email me zach at funnel-dash.com show me you left a review and i'll give you a free copy of the rich ad poor ad book to learn more about the book go to richadpoorad.com to leave a review, go to richadpored.com slash review. Thanks again.